John 11, 20 through 27. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord, we thank you for um, your word this morning. Thank you for the sunshine today. Thank you for the privilege we have to gather together and uh, encourage one another and to worship you. And so I pray that you would help us to, this morning, put aside all the uh, the cares and the concerns of uh, the world and our lives. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to uh, listen to your word that the Spirit of God would speak to us, that we would be uh, encouraged today from uh, the truth of your word. And so we ask your uh, blessing in our lives, and we will thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we've been looking at the Gospel of John, and it's interesting to get the big picture timeline of of the Gospel of John, because there's 21 chapters in John. And as we look at the Gospel of John, uh, it really starts um, with the ministry of Jesus. John's the only gospel that doesn't record the, the birth of Jesus. In fact, John starts his gospel with uh, that famous uh, uh, statement, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he launches kind of right into the ministry of Jesus. So the first 11 chapters of the gospel of John, and we're in John 11 this morning, basically cover the three years of Jesus' ministry. Chapters 12 through 19 cover the Passion Week. And so we have 11 chapters on three years. Then we have chapters 12 through 19 that look at the Passion Week of Jesus, the last week of Jesus' life. And then chapters 20 and 21 look at the resurrection and the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. So about half the book has to do with the first three years of Jesus' life and ministry. The second half of the book, as we'll see, deals with Passion Week and uh, Jesus' resurrection and post-resurrection appearances. So just a little context here before we get to John chapter 11, timing-wise. If if you go to John chapter 10, verse 22, it reads, Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. Well, the festival of dedication is Hanukkah. That would be December. Jesus goes to the cross uh, in in April. Uh, And so John chapter 11 is somewhere in the last, certainly the last three or four months of Jesus' life, maybe the last few weeks in Jesus' life, is this final miracle that's recorded in the Gospel of John, John chapter 11. And where is Jesus? Well, Verse 40 of John chapter 10 tells us, Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. There he stayed and many people came to him. 
So Jesus is on the other side of the Jordan River. Where was John baptizing? He was baptizing in, in the wilderness in a very remote area. In one sense, Jesus is laying low. It's in the last few weeks of his life. He has good reason to lay low. Because if you've been with us through the Gospel of John, you've seen over and over again, what? The religious leaders are out to kill him. Uh, we've seen that in John chapter 7, uh, verse, uh, uh, verse 1. The Feast of Tabernacles comes and Jesus is hesitant to go because the Jewish leaders were looking for a way to kill him. So Jerusalem and the religious center of Judaism, they are out to kill Jesus. He's wanted man number one. If there was a post office in Jerusalem, there would no doubt be a picture wanted and a picture of Jesus. They are out to do away with Jesus. John chapter 8, verses 58 and 59. <clears throat> Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. At that, the religious leaders took up stones to kill him, to stone him. And Jesus slipped away. John chapter 10 at the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem, verse 31. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. They tried to seize him, but he escaped from their grasp. And so Jerusalem is a hotbed to, to kill Jesus. It's, it's dangerous from the human standpoint for Jesus to go to Jerusalem. And so he's on the other side of the Jordan. And that brings us to John chapter 11. And that brings us to the dilemma. And let's read it. John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. We're not told what kind of sickness Lazarus had, but we know it was, it was a serious illness. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Now that's very important to understand the context of this story, because where was Bethany? Bethany is located two miles east of Jerusalem. Bethany is located uh, very close to Jerusalem. You could walk from Jerusalem to Bethany probably in 25, 30 minutes. It's very close to where the religious center is and where the, the power and the Jewish uh, uh, religion is, is looking for Jesus and looking to kill him. John identifies Bethany as the village of Mary and, and Martha. And we're familiar with, with Mary and Martha. They were good friends of Jesus and, and Lazarus as well. Jesus often went to Bethany in his three-year ministry just to kind of get away and to, to a, a place to have some R&R &R and to spend some time with some good friends. Now, verse 2, John parenthetically writes, This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So, so John helps us zero down on which Mary this is. You know, there's a lot of Marys in Scripture. <laughs> there's a lot of them. And so he's identifying this Mary as, this is, this is Mary, this is the, 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 the sister of Martha, the sister of Lazarus, and she's the one who anointed Jesus' feet with some very expensive perfume when he was in Bethany. Now, what's interesting in the, the timeline of history is that this event hasn't happened yet. John's writing after, after fact, and he's looking back. In fact, this story that he talks about is found in John chapter 12. 
But he's identifying who, who this Mary is. He goes on to say, so the sisters sent word to Jesus, who's on the other side of the Jordan, Lord, the one whom you love is sick. Isn't that interesting? They, did, they didn't even have to identify his name. Lord, the one whom you love is, is sick. And Jesus makes a very interesting statement, a very interesting uh, observation, declaration. When Jesus heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. Notice for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. So Jesus kind of hints, uh, gives a little forecast, a little preview of what's going to happen here, of what he's going to do um, in Lazarus's life. Well, that leads us to verses 5 through 7, which is uh, the delay. And when we find out what Jesus did, it's a little bit puzzling. But uh, having looked at this, this passage before, we, we can understand. But in the moment and when it happened in real time, it was very, very puzzling. Because after they send word to Jesus, it says in verse 5, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he rushed right to him. No, it says he stayed where he was for two days. It's, it's, it seems kind of like maybe not very compassionate of Jesus. They're saying, come right away. We need your help. The one whom you love is very, very sick. And Jesus just stays where he's at for two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Well, it was perplexing that Jesus stayed for two days. What we need to realize is that our timing and God's timing and what God has planned and what our plans are oftentimes very, very different. And so Jesus waits for two days. And that leads to a discussion Leads to a discussion between Jesus and his disciples about two things, about danger and about death. And so they get in this discussion, Jesus with his disciples, and the first part is about danger. When, when Jesus says, let's go back to Judea, the disciples object. <laughs> They're saying, wait a second, Jesus. Look at it. But Rabbi, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you and you're going back. Jesus, you really want to go back to Jerusalem? You really want to go back to that place, that area where the last two or three times you were there, they tried to arrest you and to stone you and to kill you? Jesus goes on to make uh, an interesting statement, and he answers them, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anybody who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they must see the world's light. Is when a person walks at night and they stumble for they have no light. I'm not sure the disciples understood what Jesus was talking about there. But then he goes on to, to elaborate. And he says in verse 11 to the disciples, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And here's Jesus and the disciples, and they're on totally different wavelengths of understanding. And Jesus says, no, Lazarus is sleeping. I'm going to go wake him up. And the disciples say, hey, if he's sleeping, leave him alone. He's going to, he might get better. And so Jesus very plainly has to tell them, Lazarus 
is dead. Lazarus is dead. Verse 14. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So here's uh, Jesus having this conversation with the disciples about danger and about death. And he basically, he says, I'm glad I wasn't there. So what? So that you may believe. Now the disciples already believed who Jesus was. They already knew he was the Messiah. He wanted to strengthen their faith in who he was. And he wanted others to believe as well. Now notice who speaks up. Verse 16, then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, Thomas, uh, also known as Didymus. This is, this is the person that we know as Doubting Thomas, who kind of has gotten a, a bad rap because the only thing we remember about Doubting Thomas is that when Jesus made a post-resurrection appearance to the disciples and Thomas wasn't there, he says, I'm not going to believe until I put my finger in his nail prints. And so, for all of history, has been known as Doubting Thomas. But, but look at Thomas' statement right here. Then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. We're we're going back to Jerusalem. We're going back to that area. And guess what's going to happen? We're we're probably all going to die. And Thomas is willing to go. Let us also go that we may die with him. So, Hey, let's give, let's give Thomas some credit here. Thomas is willing to, to, to go, at least verbally, he's saying, I'm willing to go with Jesus and I'm willing to die for Jesus. I'm willing to make the ultimate sacrifice for him. Which brings the question in our lives, what are we willing, are we willing to sacrifice for Jesus? Thomas says, let's, let's go and we may have to die for him. Well, that leads us to the disappointment. And uh, Jesus and his disciples arrive in Bethany. And uh, there's some disappointment that's expressed to Jesus when he comes. Mary and Martha had sent word to Jesus with expectations. Their expectation was that Jesus would, would find out, would come right away, and would heal their brother Lazarus. And when that did not happen, there was great disappointment in the life of Martha and Mary. I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life, and I think if we're honest, there are times when we are disappointed with God. You ever prayed for somebody that's, that, that, that's, that's sick, very, very sick, and you pray and you pray and you pray and they don't get better and they die? Or there's, there's a, there's a problem and, uh, that, that you're dealing with and you, you pray and you pray and you pray and it seems like the more you pray, the worse the situation gets. Philip Yancey wrote an entire book about 400 pages long entitled Disappointment with God. If we're honest with ourselves, there are times where in our heart and in our spirit, we, we are disappointed with God. And here Mary and Martha are are disappointed. And we read in in the text in uh, verse 17, it says, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus 
has already been in the tomb for four days. Now that might be significant because in Jewish thinking, in Jewish theology, here's what, here's what they believe. A person died, their body was in the, in the tomb almost immediately. They didn't wait a long time for burial. They believe that their spirit hovered over the body for three days. And then the spirit would go. Maybe Jesus waiting four days by the time he arrived. He wanted to make sure people knew Lazarus is dead. Not only is his body in the tomb, but his, his spirit is gone. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Mary heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. It's interesting to study the the personalities of Mary and Martha, and this is typical of of Martha. Uh, she, She rushes out to meet Jesus, and she meets him on the outskirts of Bethany. Verse 21 Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, I don't know, uh, and one of the things about just uh, you know, reading and not hearing somebody say it, uh, you, you lose a little bit of the, the, the tone and the, and the context. Um, I don't know if Martha meant that in an accusatory way or was kind of a statement of faith. Lord, I believe in you so much that, that if you would have been here my brother would have died, or maybe it was more accusatory. Lord, if you would have been here, he would have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha says, I know he will. She knew uh, theology. She knew Jewish theology. I know he will rise again in the last day. And then Jesus makes a wonderful proclamation to her. Well, Mary was disappointed as well. Uh, verse, verse 28 says after um, Martha has this exchange with Jesus, she goes back, gets her sister Mary, says the teacher is here and he's asking for you. Verse 29, when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at a place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and she says the exact same thing that her sister Martha did. She says to Jesus, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not And so both Mary and Martha expressed disappointment, disappointment in Jesus. What's interesting when you study the life of of Mary, and she's mentioned three times in Scripture, is that every time we read about Mary, she's at the same place. She's at the feet of Jesus. We read about that in Luke chapter 10. She's sitting at the feet of Jesus when Jesus is there in Bethany at the house of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. 
And you know this story. Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to Jesus, while her sister Martha is busy in the kitchen getting dinner ready and serving, and it creates some some tension between the two sisters. And Jesus ultimately says, well, guess what? Mary's chosen the best part. If you have to choose between you know, busyness and activity and sitting at my feet and listening to me, then Mary's chosen what is best. But there she is at the feet of Jesus. And here she is in John chapter 11. She rushes out to, to the house and she meets Jesus and she falls at Jesus' feet. And there she is at the feet of Jesus. She fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have not have died. The third time we read about Mary is in chapter 12. Jesus is back in, in Bethany and there's a dinner given in his honor. Guess where Mary is? She's back at the feet of Jesus. She takes some perfume, some, some very, very costly perfume, and she breaks that jar of perfume and she anoints the feet of Jesus. It's six days before Jesus is going to go to the cross. Every time we read about Mary, all three times, she, she's at the feet of Jesus. Well, the next part of the storyline is the declaration and the declaration. And uh, here's real, it's really two declarations, and we, I, I jumped a little bit ahead here. Uh, verse 23, and this interchange between Martha and Jesus, your brother will rise again. Martha says, I know he'll rise again in the last day. And then Jesus makes this tremendous declaration, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, even though he dies, will live. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then Jesus asks the question to Martha, do you believe this? Do, do, do you believe that this is the, the, the sixth I am statement of Jesus in the Gospel of John? He's got one more in John 15 where he says, I am the, I am the true vine, you are the branches. But he says, do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? And Martha makes a declaration. Verse 27, yes, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who's come into this world. I believe that's who you are, Jesus. Do you believe this? Well, let's look at the, how the story concludes. And we, we know this story very, very well, but we want to look at the, the dramatic conclusion. It's found in verses 33 through 45. And again, we uh, want to look at four areas here very, very quickly. We want to look at the emotions of Jesus, the questions of Jesus, the, the prayer of Jesus, and the commands of Jesus. So let's look at the emotions of Jesus, the dramatic conclusion. It's an interesting. We all have different personalities. We all have different makeups. Some people are very, very stoic, and they never show emotion. Never, never, uh, never cry. I remember I, I've talked to many people who said, you know what? I've never seen my dad cry in my whole life. Or maybe they've told me, I've seen my dad cry one time in his whole life. And there's other people that uh, have a little uh, different emotional makeup and, and I happen to be, be one of them. I, I, I can be at a wedding or a funeral and I don't even know the person and I end up crying, you know, it's this, it's like you get caught up in, in an emotion. 
Here we see Jesus expressing emotion, and, and we're made in the image of God. That means intellect, emotion, and will. And so here we see the emotions of Jesus. In fact, Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 53 about Jesus, described in this way, prophetically, he was despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrow, familiar with pain, or some translations say familiar with grief. Jesus was a man familiar with pain and sorrow and grief, not just physically, but emotionally. And here is Jesus experiencing uh, the pain, experiencing loss, what it must have been like for Jesus, a, a perfect person, yet 100% man, to live in a fallen world. And he experienced temptation and he experienced loss. And here we see the emotion of Jesus. Verse 33, when Mary, or rather when Jesus saw Mary weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Herbert Lockyer in his commentary on this miracle, writes Mary's greeting of Jesus with the words, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, caused Jesus to groan in his spirit and become troubled. The groaning means that he was moved with indignation of spirit and troubled. That is, there was an outward manifestation of his strong feeling over the temporary triumph of Satan who had the power of death. In fact, the, the Greek word here um, originally was used of a horse snorting. He was deeply troubled and moved about the loss of his friend Lazarus. We live in a fallen world where we become deeply troubled at what we have to face with life in a fallen world. Done a lot of funerals in my life and my ministry, the hardest ones have been the funeral of children. I haven't done a lot of children's funerals, but I've done a few. It, it's just so troubling and deeply moving to walk into the funeral home or to walk into a church and to see a casket and to see the body of a young child in there. And you experience those emotions and being deeply moved and deeply troubled. And that's what Jesus is experiencing in this, this moment. And so in John eleven thirty five it says, Jesus wept. Jesus is, is, is crying over the loss of Lazarus. Verse 38, it says, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. So here we see the emotion of Jesus. Well, then Jesus ex expressed a couple of questions that are in the text here. And uh, in verse 34, I mean, when Jesus has the interchange with Mary, he asks the question, where have you laid him? And they make their way to the tomb. Tombs were commonly hewn out of rock, making a, uh, out of a cave making a cave and a large stone put over it. And about 
A few short weeks, Jesus himself will be in a tomb not very far from Bethany. Where have you laid him? So he goes to the tomb and and then he has an interchange with Mary because when he begins to say, take away the stone, Mary says, oh, wait a second, he's been, he's been in there for four days. And Jesus asked another question. Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. So the stone gets rolled back. And now we see the prayer of Jesus. Jesus makes a prayer and it says in verse 41, And Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. So Jesus made a prayed a previous prayer that's not recorded here. So he, he says, Lord, I thank you that you heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. So Jesus makes a, a prayer uh, to God the Father. And he does it audibly so that the people that are gathered there can hear him. And that ultimately they would believe in who Jesus is. And that's exactly what happened. Verse 45, it says, uh, Many who had seen what Jesus did believed in him. And that's the whole purpose of the book of John. Uh, where John tells us that the, in John chapter 20, uh, I'm, I'm rec- many other miracles did Jesus do in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. Jesus did dozens of miracles. Uh, as we read through the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that John doesn't record. He records seven of them. Why? So that you might believe in Jesus and know that he's the Son of God. And that's, that's what happened here in, in John chapter 11. We come to the commands of Jesus as he works his, this miracle of bringing Lazarus back to life. First command is uh, take away the stone. We've already looked at that. Then Jesus prays. And then it says in verse 43, when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth, come out. Some of the commentators say that it's a good thing that he said Lazarus and he named him by name because if he wouldn't have, if he would have just said come out, every person in that cemetery would have, would have come back to life. Lazarus, come out. Can you imagine the being there, the anticipation, the tension of what's going to happen? And then we see Lazarus all bound up with a face covering. He comes walking out of the tomb. Verse 44, the dead man came out. His hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Command number three, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus comes back to life. You know, there's a a day coming when... um, Jesus is going to make another command and a shout. Paul writes about it in 1 Thessalonians 4, and he's talking about the rapture, and he says the, the Lord himself is going to descend from heaven. What? With a shout, with a voice of the archangel. And we're not sure exactly what he's going to shout, but he's going to make a, a shout, a cry, a command, similar to what he did here in John 11. And guess what? 
those of us that are in the grave, bodies of believers in the grave are going to what? Come out of the grave just like Lazarus did. And so Jesus works this tremendous miracle. And as I mentioned, many, many people then believe in Jesus. But uh, what, what happens here, the, the kind of the rest of the story, while some believe in Jesus, others go to the religious leaders and report to the religious leaders what Jesus has done. And it turns out that the miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead is the final straw that sets in motion the religious leaders' resolve. Guess what? we got to get rid of this man, Jesus. Otherwise, his, his, his following will be too great. And, and, and they're very, very fearful. And we read about their resolve in verse 53. So from that day on, they, the religious leaders, from that day on, when, from when he raised Lazarus from the dead, they plotted to take his life. Therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the Jews, uh, uh, among the people of Judea, rather. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the wilderness to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. And so, the raising of Lazarus was in one sense the straw that broke the camel's back, and the religious leaders have said, all right, that's it. We gotta, we gotta get rid of this man. And did you know they not only plotted to get rid of Jesus, they plotted to get rid of Lazarus as well. Now John chapter 12, just jump ahead a little bit in, in, in the scriptures, in the story, uh, talks about a large crowd of Jews finding out where Jesus was. They were there not only to see Jesus, but it says in John 12, 9, they also wanted to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Boy, word spread, and hey, let's let's go look at this man that, that died and came back to life. John 12.10, so the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. So they said, hey, we not only get, need to get rid of Jesus, but we need to get rid of the evidence here. We need to kill Lazarus. And so they had plans to do away with Lazarus. Well, this morning, and we'll just wrap this up in the last few minutes here, this wonderful miracle, this wonderful story of a crowning miracle, the seven miracles that John records. Uh, let's look at quickly some application truths from John chapter 11, four of them, and then we will conclude Here's, here's the first one from John 11.1 1, where John writes, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. And here's the, the, the first truth. We will all eventually face sickness and death. doesn't take a rocket science to figure that out. But sometimes it's something that we don't give a lot of thought to or don't like to think about. But we're reminded as we read stories like this. We're reminded this time of year, text time, what do they say? The only two sure things in life are what? Death and taxes. Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed unto man once to die. We have to come to grips at some point with our own mortality. And the Bible says eventually, just like Lazarus, all of us are going to die. Uh, poor Lazarus had to go through it twice. He might have been disappointed to come back to life. Everybody else was happy. Oh, poor Lazarus. 
already died once, now I've got to die again. But it's the, it's the fact that we all uh, eventually will face sickness and death. Death is inevitable. Death, death is inescapable. You know, there's one generation of Christians that won't experience death when the rapture comes. Author Tom Howard writes, When we face death, we are like a hen before a cobra, incapable of doing anything at all in the presence of the very thing that seems to call for the most drastic and decisive action. There is, in fact, nothing we can do at that moment. In fact, Oftentimes, doctors say that the loved ones are the person that's dying. We've done all we can. There's nothing more we can do. And so the application to all this is, is obvious. Uh, we need to be prepared for death. And, and uh, we need to put our faith in Jesus. And we need to respond like Martha did. Do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life, that I am the Messiah and I'm the Savior and Martha said, yes, I believe you're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. I trust your hope is in him this morning. Secondly, when disappointment and delay come into our lives, and inevitably will, we must choose to believe that God has a greater plan and purpose. Let me read that again. When disappointment and delay come into our lives, We must make a choice to believe. That's faith. To believe what? That God has a greater plan and a purpose. Martha and Mary were were initially disappointed with Jesus. What they didn't realize is that, guess what, Martha and Mary? God's got a... Jesus has a, a greater plan. Never in their wildest dreams did they believe that Jesus was going to bring Lazarus back alive at that moment. And when Jesus said, roll away the stone, Martha said, hey, don't, you know, you sure you want to do that? It's going to stink. He's been in there for four days. But what? Jesus had a greater plan and a greater purpose, the glory of God to be displayed in the life of Lazarus. The same is true in our life. You know, we don't see the big picture, do we, or the whole picture? God does. And when things don't happen according to our timetable and or when we get disappointed, we need to make that faith choice and realize that, hey, I'm going to trust God even though I don't understand because He's got a greater plan and a greater purpose and it always involves our ultimate good and His glory. And so we can trust Him. Number three, Jesus is deeply touched by our pain and grief. We can't read this story without thinking about that truth that jumps out off the pages of Scripture. Jesus experiencing the loss of of his good friend Lazarus and ministering to to Martha and Mary and those that are weeping and those that are in pain and, and, and sorrow. And we realize that Jesus cares. Jesus knows. He hears. He cares. He cares deeply about our pain and our grief. First Peter 5, 7, cast all your care upon him because he cares for you. He cares. He knows. 
and He loves us. He's deeply touched by our pain and our sorrow. And He wants us to be deeply touched by the pain and sorrow of others. We are the body of Christ. Romans 12.15 says, I want you to weep with those that weep, mourn with those that mourn, and rejoice with those that rejoice. How can we model Jesus? This, well, a lot of it is by entering into the what? The joy and the sorrows of other people. That's part of being a part of the church. To enter into the pain and the sorrow and the joy of others. Lastly, here's uh, maybe the best of the four. And uh, we'll be reminded of this again in about four weeks. But John 11 tells us that death is not final. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. He's talking about what? Our soul. Death is not your termination point, but it is your transition into eternity. So we read in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. Talking about our future resurrection. Not only, not only does our soul live forever, but our body's going to be raised up just as Jesus was. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about that. 1 Thessalonians 4. Famous quote from D.L. Moody, Dwight Lyman Moody, the great evangelist. And he said, someday you'll read that D.L. Moody of Northfield, Massachusetts is dead. But don't you believe it, because in that day I will be more alive than I have ever been. Death is not final. And so Paul concludes in 1 Corinthians 15, that resurrection chapter, that great chapter about our future where he writes, Death, oh, where, oh, death is your victory. Where, oh, grave is your sting. Thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then here's the application. Here's the encouragement. Because death is not final. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor for the Lord is not in vain. Paul basically says, keep on keeping on. Because we've got the truth. And death is not final because Jesus has conquered the grave. And he brought Lazarus back to life to prove who he is. The Savior of the world. Let's pray together. Lord, think about that hymn. And it says, my hope is built in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And Lord, thank you that as we live in a, in a, a world that uh, is looking for hope and assurance, thank you that our hope 
is found in you. Lord, thank you for this wonderful miracle recorded in the Gospel of John, the raising of Lazarus. Lord, thank you that as we face perhaps delay and disappointment in our life, that we can affirm this morning that uh, we can trust you, the sovereign God who is in your providence and your sovereignty has a, a greater plan to demonstrate his power, your your power and your glory. Lord, thank you for the truth this morning that you have conquered sin and that you have conquered death and there's victory over the grave and that there's there's hope for us that, uh, that our loved ones who in Christ, we will see them again someday. Thank you for the assurance absent from the body, present with the Lord. Lord, may these truths and the truth of this scripture give us hope and encouragement today. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.